Welcome to the Simply Home Podcast, where we educate, inspire, and entertain real estate entrepreneurs seeking a casual and practical podcast. We're here to simplify your life and business. You can find growth anywhere. And as long as you have an open mind and take those opportunities to learn, then you're going to grow from it. The easiest thing, too, is just always being in your zone of genius. What you are passionate about and are good at. The mindset shift is drastic. When you're when you're thinking of, I am this person, as opposed to, I want to become, or one day I will be, is, is huge. I feel like a lot of real estate companies have been putting a focus on themselves, basically. I've, recently, we've been putting it on the agents, and that's when our socials have been doing the best. It's become really personal, and we've gotten a lot more traction. What's up? What's up? Welcome back to the Simply Home Podcast. I am your host on this one, Sean Mike CEO and founder of Simply Home. And pardon my voice, I decided to play tag with allergies and uh, perhaps sinus infection. So um, I sound like crap. So I hope you guys still enjoy listening. I'm joined here today by David Lippy, who is a lender um, with SWBC and uh, has been doing this for quite a while. Since 1996 is his license date. <laughs> I was uh, f- seven. I was seven. Um, not to age you or anything, but I'll age me. <laughs> uh, so welcome to the show. Thank you for Thanks, for joining. Looking forward to hearing everything you have to share and talk with the craziness of this market. Um, you've seen we've seen interest rates to like skyrocket, but it's crazy. Go from what to what and when. So over Christmas, I was quoting interest rates in the high twos, around two point eight seven five, maybe to low threes, right around three percent. Yeah. And today, right before this, um, we're quoting about 4.75. Good. So, uh, yeah, 4.8. So two full percent rise in just 90 days. Yeah. So have you seen that before? No. No? And, yeah, it's pretty historic. Okay. So do you think it's here to stay? Or do you think it's... I I read something yesterday from uh, the NAR economist, uh, Lawrence Yu, um, who said something along the lines of they're not 100% sure that the interest rate hike is here to stay or if it's just kind of a volatility that we're seeing right now to curb the inflation. Uh, what are your thoughts? So again, historically, the fact that interest rates are, let's just say the high fours right now, that's still an amazing interest rate historically. Yeah. So I people got really um, used to interest rates in the, you know, threes or twos. twos yeah. And so, I mean, for the past two years during COVID, that's why rates went down so low. Um, but so actually right now, they are almost exactly what they were right before COVID. And so. Oh, really? Just forget God, I that. forgot about that. I know they were in the, the mid fours around Christmas. 19. Of 19 of, I'm sorry, 2019. Yeah. Wow. So back to your question, are they here to stay? They should be. This is about where they should be. Where they should be. And so I think that, yeah, for the rest of the year, you know, we should get used to a four in front of the interest rate, four and a half to 5%. Yeah. Um, and are, are you hearing any economic chatter from your side of the industry about like expectations or anything along those lines with it? I mean, our economists that we have, 
at SWBC said that interest rates will be, you know, in the high fours, low fives by the end of the year. And they've been saying that even before all the inflation. So I think it's here for a while. The Fed has said that they plan on raising interest rates a couple more times. Um, you know, they actually said between six and seven times throughout the rest of the year. But mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know that anyone really expected the jump to go from the Fed as quick in the month of March as it did. But, right. um, you know, got to do what you got to do sometimes. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you have seen in just obviously on the real estate side and the, the realtor world, the challenges are inventory. It's probably the same for you in, in many respects, I would imagine. But are there additional challenges that you're encountering on your side? I mean, the biggest challenge right now is just is on the real estate side is the customers winning the house. I mean, we've got so many pre-approved borrowers that they keep you know losing to either cash offers or people putting more money down than they yeah. are. So I think it's important for us on the on the lending side to try and help the buyers remove as many contingencies as possible, make sure they're educated how they can, we can help them make their offer as strong as possible to try and, you know, win a home because it's really competitive out there. Yeah. Um, you guys probably have a bunch of borrowers that like compete against each other, right? <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it happens. It definitely yeah. does. When a good home comes on the market, and I'll have three realtors or three customers call me up and want pre-approval letters because they're making offers on the same house. Well, it's a win for you, hopefully, maybe. <laughs> when it's like 40, 50 offers, who knows, right? It's, it's hard. <laughs> um, so have you ever seen a market like this ever? I've, I've heard of it happening one time in California like the, years ago. The 80s time? Like, no. Oh, okay. I, I was I was pretty young back then, but no, um, <laughs> no. I I heard about in California and where there was a time when things were so crazy out there that a builder would have a new section coming up and people would go and camp out to get in line to buy homes at a trailer in a new development. And but I've never heard about it anywhere around here. Fair it's enough. Amazing. I um so Nicholas, my bro, is over here on the ones and twos uh, instead of Grant today, um, and uh, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember a long time ago when I was like hell bent on getting a laptop? I was like sixteen, and mom and I went and camped out at Walmart on Black Friday. <laughs> it's the closest I've come to camping for something. I, <laughs> I joke that the last time I camped out for anything was to try and get my kid into the preschool. So, okay. yeah, that was like, you know, 10 kids for three spots. And yeah, I had to go yeah. there and camp out. Um, and you're from, you're not from here, from here, but I've you've lived, lived here for 20 years, 23 years, actually. 23 years. Okay. Um, and you've seen the entirety of this change. Like you've seen Nashville go from not much to what it is today. Um, and now, I mean, we're hearing conversation of, a couple years from now, maybe where Nashville real real estate prices will hit a thousand dollars a square foot. Does that blow your mind? Uh huh. Yeah. And it it it's kind of scary because how are 
our customers going to be able to afford? You know, if, if we have a first time home buyer, how is a first time home buyer going to be able to afford a home in those prices? So, yeah, I mean, so I think this is where the going out becomes was, yeah. the thing, right? I mean, any big city I've ever been to, the Atlantas, the Houstons, the whatever, it's they're so spread out and it all happens for a reason. Um, in L.A., I grew up in L.A., and it's super spread out. And it used to take my, my mom like an hour and a half, two hours to get to work. And it was only 19 miles. Um, and I, I like every time she used to tell me that I was like, yes, you know, that's bad. But then I've had numerous times on I-24 trying to go from Nashville back to Murfreesboro, which is about 19 miles <laughs> that it takes yes. an hour and a half. <laughs> you know, I, I remember again, when we first moved here, you know, Columbia was far away and then Lewisburg and nothing was in Manchester. Um, you know, Murfreesboro was extremely affordable. And now you think about, you know, Atlanta and the loop and mm -hmm. then inside the loop and outside the loop. Well, yeah. you know, we used to think of being inside the loop as like being inside the 440 loop. And now the, the question is, loop. is the 840 loop the new loop? And it's going to be so hard to buy inside the 840 loop that everything is going to move out. I mean, think about, you know, even Fairview. Yeah. Of, I mean, that was really far away. And now it's not, it's not. Yeah. Well, and Columbia is exploding and I've even heard like Lawrenceburg, Pulaski, those are exploding and it's like, you know, exploding is relative naturally, but um, Murfreesboro's affordability is not that affordable anymore. Um, it's going, it's going down I-24, <coughs> Manchester. I've, Beach Grove. Yep, exactly. I was talking to somebody the other day who um, just bought three of the four uh, exit corners on the Beach Grove exit um, and then is also buying another 1,800 acres in Beach Grove. And, you know, it's, it's a hot spot. It's remarkable but it's so convenient to murfreesboro it's not really convenient right. north but um you know you get those people who are like well i can't afford murfreesboro because murfreesboro's starting it i don't know four, at least the fours maybe even higher um i know my neighborhood is like since i bought now they're starting in the fives i bought in the fours but um but i think their sign still said starting From in the, the threes right <laughs> I, mean, I bought a house in Murfreesboro last year, and I thought I overpaid at two fifty, and now it's not even. It's a year since I bought it, and I could sell it, you know, for three hundred higher. I mean, I would love to find a home for under three hundred thousand in Murfreesboro. Yeah, it's. I can't help you with that. I'm sorry. It's hard. I know. Um, so, all right. So you've been in this for a long time. You've worked with realtors every day for 20 some odd years. Um, what are some things that you find that the highly productive, successful realtors do? And what are some things? Let's start with that question. What are you, what are some things that you find that they do? How do they treat the conversation with the borrower setting you up with the borrower, stuff like that? Number one, don't put someone in your car until you've talked to a lender and get them pre-approved. And I think there might be a lot of definitions of what is pre-approved out there. 
I know that the old pre-qual versus pre-approved. Right. (laughs) I think it's an interchangeable word, but you want to make sure that before you go, and especially in this market, if you're driving far, you know, it's so hard to, again, find homes on the market with such limited inventory. You want to make sure that that person is a good buyer. So make sure when I say pre-approved, Dave, the, the lender has taken a full loan app, gone over their income, pulled their credit. Um, hopefully if, you know, if they're self-employed, looked at their tax returns to make sure that the income they think they made in the previous year was actually what they recorded on their tax return. So make sure that again, they're pre-approved after after that, you know, then you can go into different ways to, you know, talk to the customer. If you put more money down, you might be able to waive your appraisal contingency. If you put even more money down, can you waive your financing contingency? So, so how are those things? How do those correlate with one another? How does putting more money down make a appraisal contingency go away? So or, or is it just the willingness to pay the gap? Yes, but there are some tricks to if you're okay. So if a person is a first time buyer and with it was only putting say 3% down or 5% down, it makes it more difficult for them to waive their appraisal or for even to waive their financing. Um, And so, but if a person's putting 20% down, why is a person putting 20% down? This is a big trick right here. A person's putting 20% down because most likely they don't want mortgage insurance, PMI. So if the house, if they're buying a $500,000 house, putting 20% down, that's $100,000. They don't have mortgage insurance. But what if the house doesn't appraise for 500? It only appraises for 480. That's okay. What I would do is I would just switch them to say, 15% down and they would have a, like a small amount of mortgage insurance, but I'm sorry, they would still put 20% down, but I would change in their loan. What's called their LTV, the loan to value percentage would show 15% and they'd have mortgage insurance, but they didn't have to pay for any gap. Oh, so it eliminates that. So that's a little trick. So it, it, they don't have to come up with any extra money if they were putting 20% down, but they're going to have mortgage insurance. But if a person's only putting 3% or 5% down, then I can't change their LTV, their loan to value ratio. And they have to come up with, you know, that gap in the appraisal. Yeah. And so you mentioned the financing contingency is if somebody, you know, obviously we all deal with very, every situation is different, right? You'll get a borrower who comes in who's a 600 credit score, 3% down. They're borrowing closing costs from a gift from a family member. We've all had that situation. Exactly. Then sometimes you get the 780, 20% down, plenty of cash in the bank, whatever. Is there a, a happy medium there? I mean, it's obviously case by case over and over again, but is there a happy medium with maybe available cash or whatever? Um, and again, this doesn't fall on you as a lender, but is there a, a comfortable point in which a borrower or a realtor can perhaps advise 
you know, hey, let's waive the financing contingency or something. So waiving the financing contingency is, you know, the borrower buyer needs to understand the legal aspect from their real estate contract. So I'm not a lawyer, but (laughs) my understanding is that by waiving the financing contingency, it is not waiving your ability to get a mortgage. It's just basically saying that if you don't get qualified or, you know, approved by that lender, you still buy this house. You're still buying that. You can't get out of your contract because of that. Right. So again, the risk is always on the buyer borrower. If they're getting a loan that that might happen. Um, But yeah, I mean, the more money you're putting down, the, the, the greater the chance is that there will be a program available for you. And a lot of that burden falls on the loan officer. A loan officer cannot approve a loan. They can't say. So again, you got to have someone who's been doing this a long time. And, you know, the longer they've been doing it, they are going to know if there are any bumps in the roads that, uh, that might pop up. But short of the loan officer saying, yeah, you're, um, you know, approvable, or, you know, you can do something called get a borrower pre-approved for the loan. So basically, you can take that borrower, take all their information. They do not have to have a contract yet. We can submit their information to underwriting and basically say that and, and get them approved for a loan in advance. And again, the problem that eliminates with, so many questions. It does. And then you're going to get your conditions and everything right then, like yeah. at the beginning of the process. Yep. The problem with doing that is again, it's <clears throat> how long is it going to take from when they are quote approved through underwriting to the time that they find a house? Because if anything changes from the time that they're approved, right. if it takes, if it only takes a couple weeks, the odds are nothing's going to happen. But what if it takes 60 days? Right. If anything changes in their credit, if their or employment or any of those variables change. Then you're right. back to square one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, most, I don't know most, but many people probably are not going to be aware that you're also a real estate broker. Um, so your depth of knowledge in this industry is... Uh, far deeper than mine. Um, with with that, I had a very specific question, and I just totally lost said question. That's okay. And I wish I wish Nicholas had oh. the. Uh, oh, you do have it. <laughs> oh, what? That's the brain fart button. <laughs> oh gosh! And I just did it to myself. That's so funny. I, when did you have that? That's hilarious. We've been requesting this button for months because every single time we sit down and have a podcast, one of us, of the four of us at the table will inevitably have like a, oh, I've got this. Oh, I just lost this. And so now we have the button and we just got to use it. And it would be so fitting that my little brother would get to use it on me for the first time. So there's that good stuff. Um, There was a, a, a contract question I was going to ask you about your perception going back to waiving of the contingencies. Here, I, this is what I'd say. And again, 
wearing my lender hat, not being a realtor. So I say in general, there are six negotiable points to a tar contract. Of course, it, first is price. Okay. Second is, I, I say other terms like a closing date, um, you know, things like that, right. you know, things that are included or not included with the house. Um, third is, you know, closing costs. I, I talk about BC before craziness, before COVID, you know, in our market, um, let's just talk about title. I would say 95% of the time that a contract came across my desk, BC before COVID crazy market, um, seller paid title. It was usual and customary for seller to pay title. Well, now I'd say 80% of the contracts that come across my desk have buyer paying everything. Wow. So that's the third point. So then we get into, you know, a couple of the other, you know, tricky, trickier ones like, um, waiving home inspections. Again, it was extremely rare for me to ever see a contract come across my desk before all of this happened with our market where a person waived their home inspection. And now again, I'd say, you know, 80% are pass fail. And a lot of them are just, we aren't even going to do one. We'll buy the house as is. Um, and then, but I purposely skip the last two, which is waiving financing and waiving the appraisal. So the new tar contract, um, has the appraisal gap verbiage mm -hmm. in there. And, but before that, I still say customers don't understand how waiving their appraisal affects them. And so have the lender go through very specific um, scenarios with the customer of, again, if you're buying a, a $400,000 house and only putting 5% down, what if the house doesn't appraise? they need to understand how how much additional money they could be on the hook for if they waive their appraisal. The lender is going to have to do an appraisal. There are some, we'll call them urban legends out there about getting appraisal waivers on purchases. Yes, you can get an appraisal waiver. That's the lender, the, the mortgage company saying you don't need an appraisal but that's only if a person has really good credit, not a lot of debt, and is putting a whole lot of money down. And it isn't a guarantee. It's not the lender that's waiving the appraisal. It's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac saying we don't need one because the people gotcha. are putting so much money down. Interesting. So, again, so that's the other negotiable point is waiving appraisal. And then you come into appraisal gap problems. Um, I will also say that in the beginning of craziness, which coincides with COVID, <laughs> um, housing prices skyrocketed, but uh, there weren't enough closed homes. So the values on appraisals, we saw a lot of homes not appraising at the beginning of the crazy market. Okay. But now we are seeing much fewer homes not appraised because we have so many Closed support. Yeah, exactly. And then the last one is waiving financing altogether. And that just goes back to. I've always advised if you're going to waive it, make sure you got the cash in the bank to cover it. Cause and I think that's again, the realtor's responsibility, whether it's the, the listing agent's responsibility, if you're accepting a contract where the person has waived financing 
you need to make sure that they have a hundred percent of that money in yeah. the bank. You better get a bank statement exactly. or a, a stock uh, portfolio or something that shows it. Exactly. Um, and if you still have that money in the bank after the being <coughs> being down 50, 60% in stock market, then good. Exactly. Good on you. Um, how many of your clients, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, how many of your clients are you seeing from out of state versus in state? That's a good question. I mean, 90% in state. Oh, really? 10% out of state. You're, you're primarily, uh, referral based, right? Correct. Okay. Um, yeah. So are you seeing them go up? So I had, uh, a friend of mine over at Channel 5 called me up uh, a few weeks back talking about uh, a story. There was some um, article published by Redfin about the in-state uh, clients being incapable of moving because out-of-state money is superseding. Um, are you seeing that with your in-state clients? Uh, definitely. Every day? Uh, absolutely. And I mean, I'm seeing... Again, I love Middle Tennessee. I've been here 20 years. All my kids were born here. And I just, I think about, are my kids going to be able to live anywhere near us be, and be, afford to be able to live here in Middle Tennessee because of housing prices have just gone up so much. But I, I, the, the sad part is so many customers over my 20 years here that I've helped aren't able to, I mean, they're able to sell their current home and make money, but they can't, they can't find someone else, someplace else to live. And I've had several that are actually moving either out of state to more affordable areas. I've had them move to, you know, out of this area here, middle Tennessee. You know, I had a customer recently leave Brentwood and moved to Jackson, Tennessee. I love Jackson, but and I and bought like an eight hundred thousand dollar home in Jackson, Tennessee, which that kind of it's a big house in Jackson. Me. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, the affordability aspect is a, a significant struggle, and I don't know how we how it gets fixed, other than you know local wages going up. But either even with that changing, it's going to take a, a while before people can start to keep up. I mean, you got to think. The house, the house that I grew up in, in Los Angeles, we rented and it was a little, I'm going to mess up the stats, but it was probably 13, 1400 square feet. Um, and in the middle of San Fernando Valley. And I know for sure that houses in that area that are 13, 1400 square feet are probably about that thousand dollars square foot number. They're going to be sitting in that like one, two, one, four, one, six range. Um, and you've got people selling starter homes, like literally a starter home in Los Angeles is going to be a million, give or take. And yet I talk to my agent friends in LA and I'm like, so what's the market like? Cause I know you got a bunch of listings, but do you have any buyers? And they're in the same inventory situation as us. Like there's a record number of people leaving California. Last year was the first time in like the last 70 something years in which California had a net deficit in, in population. Um, however, all of all, there's so many people there who are like, yeah, I can finally buy a house, which is remarkable to me. 
But I feel like we're going to end up in a very similar situation here because, you know, we have all of that money coming in um, and they're buying up everything they can or choose to. Um, and we're going to eventually see where the locals can make that kind of transition across town. Hey, instead of being over here, I want to be on this side of town, whatever, um, and be able to afford it. I just don't know when it's going to happen. It seems like it's probably 10 years from now before people are going to be able to catch up. It's, it's, it's definitely a concern. And I mean, I'm seeing it in, again, in the customers that are trying to sell, make money and then move up or over and they just, they can't afford to do it. And so I will say it's creating a new product, which is people staying in their homes and instead of upgrading, they're doing renovation loans. That's a new product. And it's, I'm seeing a lot more people refinancing or again, take money out of their home and to stay in their home longer because where can they go? Which is interesting. So when I started in real estate all six and a half years ago, um, I was always told the average, uh, length of homeownership is seven to 12 years. I personally, in the last six years, have sold like six houses to certain people, like one a year. Right. Because they could. But I think that was an abnormal that will probably pivot back to the whole seven to 12 year thing. Do you agree? Absolutely. Um, it's it's interesting to see all that kind of play out. But so uh, Edsel Charles, did you go to Edsel's thing? I didn't. Okay. Um, so Edsel had a uh, kind of forecast in which, um, and I, I did not attend, but in a previous podcast for anyone who's listening, um, David Balfour and I spoke about it because he attended on my behalf because I had a meeting. Um, but uh, Edsel talked about how rates are going to continue going up. And then when they hit about six and a half, the market's going to stall to be expected understood. Um, but then this was the part, frankly, that kind of excited me. He said after the stall, he expects it to fall back to about a 2017, 2018 market. I loved the 2017, 18 market. That would <laughs> you, be awesome. Like you could actually like go look at a house and like, you know, go to dinner with your family and then send an offer, not like die trying to send the offer before you even like get off the interstate. Um, what do you think? Do you think as interest rates go up, are we going to see the market kind of slow down enough to let inventory kind of catch up or is Sean, it's local already, demand going to beat it? I, I have access to all of our, you know, the number of loan apps that are being you know taken and it's already slowing down right now as interest rates have gone up. They aren't really talking about it in the media. Everybody hears that, gas prices have gone up and food prices have gone up and now beef, you know, everything is going up, but you don't hear in the, in, in the media that interest rates are at 5%, you know, or whatever. High Not yet. The media is always about a month behind though. Well, maybe even longer. It's catching up to buyers out there when, you know, they got pre-approved 30, 60 days ago, interest rates were, have gone up a half percent in the past 30 days. And is is there kind of a, sorry to cut you off. Is there kind of a, a standard, like if interest rates go up a quarter point, it affects the affordability of a consumer in X way. 
Like I'm sure, I'm sure there is. Okay. All right. I just didn't know if there was like a interest rates went up a half a percent. Therefore, you can buy a fifty thousand dollar cheaper house or something like that. Correlation. It it's all relative to the price point. So yeah. it has the same effect on you know a person buying a two hundred thousand dollar house. You know it it cut their affordability as it does in the five hundred thousand dollar price range. Isn't it so. crazy? You say two hundred thousand dollar house, and I go, I don't remember last time I saw a two hundred thousand dollar house. I, I I don't know where one is. Yeah. I don't know where you'd find one. Yeah, it's wild. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I cut you off. You had a thought, and now we both lost it. I was going to say, where's, where's that? Where's that brain fart button? Brain fart button? Um. Um, <laughs> no, it's interest rates. Back Edsel Charles. Interest rates, It's. I think it's already happening. I think there's already been a little slowing in the number of applications that we are taking out there, um, whether it's, you used a term a few weeks ago, like buyer burnout, I think you said, of how difficult it is. I mean, people are just getting, so, buyers so frustrated trying to find homes. There's such limited inventory. When they do, they rush out there. There's, you know, 30 other offers in there and they're just getting burnt out on writing offers and losing. Yeah. So I think that combined with interest rates going up and again, if the Fed is talking about raising interest rates five, six more times, it is important to know that when the Fed raises interest rates, there's a correlation to mortgage rates going up. But when they raise rates, it's not them raising mortgage rates. Mortgage rates, I always say interest rates change every minute of every day that the stock and bond markets are open. In general, interest rates are almost like a stock. You can see them going up and down. Um, but when the Fed raises rates, it's affecting everything else. They're trying to slow the market down. And I think it's, I think it's working. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Jeremy Powell, I think he's, I think he's doing a really good job with it. Honestly, um, there's a lot of factors to, to throw into the whole piece but um and for anyone who's listening who doesn't know how to look that up it's the uh, 10-year treasury bond um and par value is two right yeah so anything if if it goes above two rates are going this is an inverse it's inverse right well yeah if the bond is going up if you're looking at like i use yahoo finance or market watch if the bond is going up interest rates are trending up if the bond is going down, so again, during COVID, the bond went down to the lowest ever. It went down to like 0.5. Goodness Today, gracious. Right. So, <laughs> and, and that's when interest rates hit the lowest they've yeah, pretty much two ever and been. Halves, yeah. So today, again, I, I have it up every day. The bond is at 2.4%. And so that's why interest rates in general have trended upwards since their low point in pretty much March or April of twenty. 20 and they've now that now the bond is at 2.4 percent so So i just i i find it interesting and i'm glad you brought it up because i totally forgot that in december of 2019 interest rates are what they are today um it's so we do have very short memories not necessarily always always in our favor either um because i remember i think it was september of 19 when interest rates touched into the mid fives for a minute they did and the market kind of like eh, 
I'm going to sit tight for a sec. Um, but on that note, I, I believe I saw a uh, NAR report a couple weeks ago that showed the trend of cash transactions versus mortgage transactions. Um, and that it had gone from like 25% of transactions were cash to 29% were cash. So I'm wondering if as rates flow up, if people are going to say, well, you know, I can't necessarily guarantee in a volatile stock market an 8% return on my, my stocks. Um, therefore I might just go ahead and pay cash for the house and let the appreciation run my cash up. Um, so it might not actually cool off the housing market as much as directly as much as it appears that it could um, by having those rates come up. Because my thing is the people are going to leave the more expensive places. Tennessee has no state income tax. We do have high state sales tax. But our property taxes are Property taxes are non-existent. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, Probably too low, frankly. Maybe they should raise them a little bit and fix all those damn potholes. Um, But... uh, Um, but ultimately like the people are going to come from the Californias, the New Yorks, the Illinois, um, all of those places that are significantly more expensive to live than here. And I, I heard somebody say recently that the common theme that they hear from those California buyers and others is the extra money that I'm paying to overpay for my house today I'm going to save in my first year of not paying in state income taxes. And again, I have family in a lot of those cities. And when they hear that, again, in in middle Tennessee, if you have a million dollar house, property taxes, you know, I mean, they kind of vary between Davidson County being more expensive, Williamson less, but that property taxes are, let's just say $10,000 on a million dollar house. Yeah. It's double that I mean, <coughs> in a lot of those cities, if not triple that. Yeah. And it's it's unbelievable how much you save. I mean, again, it's why everybody's moving here. And that's just in property taxes, exactly. not counting state income. Exactly. Like we had some uh, family friends from Long Island. They were paying $70,000 a year in property taxes. Gosh, Stupid. That's insane. Um, but then you take the income tax. And I know California now has the highest federal or highest state income tax in the entire union. Um, and I think it was, I, I'm probably off on this, but I remember seeing 18% somewhere. It's a lot to give away 18% of your money there. And then your federal, I mean, you're 50, 50 plus tax rate. Um, welcome to freedom. It's, I know. Again, it's <laughs> why, I mean, I think a lot of us have had opportunities to move to other places, but once you're here, yeah, why would you move? It's yeah. great. Yep. Here, Texas and Florida are booming for a reason, right? Um, so, yeah, so it's going to be, I guess, really interesting to see as interest rates continue to climb. Do you, so, go ahead. Well, to your point about as interest rates, so a cash buyer, it doesn't affect them. Interest rates going up. I, I mean, I completely agree. And again, that's more to the detriment of the majority of our customers. You know, if you already live here, you're a family, you know, your family has grown a little bit and you want to go move up, first time move up buyer interest rates going up to, you know, five, five and a half, if they go up to six, like Edsel, you know, you alluded to, it's affecting them. But that cash buyer the, that's relocating here, they don't it, care. They don't care. Um, and it, and it w- makes it harder for our customers. And again, that's a concern of that I have with that influx of money. We've, we just, we haven't had it to the extent that we do 
I mean, I'm sure it's always been there, but not in the numbers that it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and my, my thing is, I think that people are going to opt to go cash as opposed to mortgage because why pay five, 6% against your money, which is already losing, you know, in, in inflation, it's already lost 7% in the last little bit. Um, so, you know, why keep going backwards? Cause there's no, there's no investment right now. That's going to appreciate the way that real estate has been appreciating. Um, and if predictions of us going from, you know, $400 a square foot in Nashville to a thousand dollars a square foot in Nashville come true, why not? You're basically tripling your money there, you know? So, Hey, before I forget and have a brain break, back to paying cash for homes. Um, there is a really cool thing that people can do to pay to pay cash and get a loan. And this product um, originated years ago because of what happened in California. So again, there was a time in California where again, probably when the people were camping out to buy homes, that in addition to that, everybody was paying cash and people didn't have the cash to do it. So what they were doing was they were liquidating all of their assets whether they're paying penalties on 401ks or other retirement plans to pay cash. And then they wanted to refinance. Well, typically after you buy a house, you have to wait six months before you can refinance at when you bought the home. So the government came up with a great program and, and I encourage everybody to look into this again. I'm not a CPA, but you need to find out the tax implications of withdrawing money out of 401k or retirement funds to pay cash for a house. But the mortgage industry came up with a program. It's called delayed financing. So again, if you want to, can figure out a way to pay cash, you know, liquidate stuff, it has to be your own assets. You can't have gotten a gift for the money. You can't have gotten a loan from some other source for your money. But if you have the cash to do it, you can liquidate all your assets, buy the home to compete with everybody else that's paying cash. And then immediately <laughs> you can get a loan to get 80% of your money back huh. to put it back into your 401k or other locations that you may have had that money. Interesting. It's an awesome program. Um, and again, it, for some people, if, if they have the the ability to come up with to pay cash, but they would have never liquidated that before, you can get 80% of your money back. So again, that's just like putting 20% down. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I remember the first time I did a securities loan for a house. That was, that was interesting too. Um, I have something I want to look up and I want to ask you about it because I've heard a bit of a trend on this. Um, Again, I, I think in this economy, this market that we're all experiencing on the real estate and the lending side, it's all about trying to figure out a way to present the most attractive, the best contract possible. Um, I think it's really, really hard for those first-time buyers that need even down payment assistance, your FHA loans and THDA loans. Mm -hmm. I really tough to win a contract when you're, if, if you have any competition at all. The other thing I'm then seeing is, so those buyers are then having to buy homes that are less desirable for whatever reason. And then 
they're buying homes that end up having, you know, inspection issues or, you know, maintenance issues. And now they've got to sink a bunch of money into the homes. It's tough. Yeah. So there's this thing going around that I've heard from uh, some more of my savvy clients. Um, oh, man. And part of it is based, there's there's somebody based here in Nashville that's been pushing it for a while, but it's essentially to pay off your mortgage using a HELOC. Have you heard about this? I mean, yeah. What are your thoughts? It's robbing Peter to pay Paul. You just, there are pros and cons to to doing it. And so if you have the, the equity in your home, you just need to understand I mean, I love HELOCs and I love mortgages. So the the negative of a HELOC is that it is an adjustable rate mortgage. So when the Fed raises rates, like I said earlier, it isn't affecting mortgage interest rates, but it's affecting short-term interest rates. So things like your credit card interest rates go up, but HELOC interest rates go up when the Fed raises rates. Interesting. And so... Um, it's an adjustable rate mortgage, so that's, you know, a negative, but it's interest only. So it's it's like getting a credit card, and what happens if you have whatever, a $20,000 balance or on your credit card, and all you do is pay the minimum payment? Well, guess what? You could pay that for five years, minimum payment, and at the end of five years, you still owe $20,000. You just sat and paid the interest. So it's the same thing on a HELOC. You have to be disciplined enough to be paying down the principal as well. But I mean, and yeah, there's this whole thing going around of like, get a HELOC, pay off your mortgage in five to seven years, blah, 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 blah. Um, right. <clears throat> and so I just, but then at the end of that, you have your HELOC. Right. So something still has to be paid Same off. Same thing. Yeah. Um, and may, I don't know if, if the point is to pay off the house with it and then take the excess and invest it to pay off the rest. But that's a bit of a gamble to invest with leveraged money. Exactly. Is it, at least not to invest with leveraged money because um, you can obviously do that and be very successful. Businesses do it all the time. But um, if you're going to take $300,000 from a HELOC and throw it in Bitcoin and hope that it goes the right direction, that seems a little risky to me. But it's just me. High risk, I don't high know. reward. Yeah, maybe. Um, so what... Um, what are some things that you feel that agents should know to do better, to better represent their clients in a market like this from a lender perspective? Wow. It's like, wow, that list is long. <laughs> I, I, again, you just, you got to go back to those six negotiable. I mean, do you agree? Um, six negotiable yeah. points. I mean, are, what, did I, this one? No, I, mean, I'm sure. I actually like that because I've never heard that. I've never heard like, here are the six negotiable points of a real estate contract. But at the end of the day, I, it's as simple as that. Well, I'm not, again, I'm not reducing it to that. I'm just saying from a- No, it's not a reduction. It's, it's just a simplification. Um, I do agree. Uh, I also know that there are some, you know, you get newer agents who have never written something, right? They come in here, their client says, well, can we waive this? And they don't know the answer. So they just go, yeah, that's cool. Let's do it. 
but they don't understand the legal implication of the fact that, hey, if you just waived financing and you just went out and bought a car and screwed yourself out of your financing, you're still on the hook legally for this $400,000 house, whether you want it or not. Um, I think people oftentimes interchangeably use the, the word contingency with just an automatic out. Um, and sometimes, but there's, there's a paragraph in the contingency generally for a reason. Um, but you know, you, you work with a few newer agents and then you also, I'm sure work with very tenured agents. They all operate differently. Everybody runs their business differently, but I know there are like good habits that people do. Um, there are things that you see. We have conversations in the office frequently of like, what would you do in this situation type of a thing? Um, but like if there was just like one key takeaway from this conversation for a newer agent, maybe they're a couple years licensed, sell, sold a few houses a year. Um, what's something that they should either do that's like a best practice or something that they should know about from your side of the industry that's a little trick that might help them be more successful? There is a service that I provide and I can't speak for the entire industry, but it's, I, I will say after doing this for this long, being married to a wonderful wife who understands what I do for a living, uh, it, where I'm going with this is I, my weekends are your busiest days as a realtor are typically, you know, Saturday, Sunday. And I say Monday because maybe you look at homes on Saturday, Sunday, and all offers are due by Monday. And so my busiest days are Saturday, Sunday, Monday. There is a service that I provide, and I, I encourage every agent out there to be, you know, friends, have a great relationship with their lender. And you want to, you really want to narrow it down to having a really great relationship with your lender. And before you write a contract, and you want that lender to be there, and I'm not saying I'm there 24-7, you know, I, whatever, whether I'm coaching sports or at a game for my kids, if you need to write an offer, you can call me and I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm coaching right now and I'll call you back. But so you got to respect that. But I say before you write an offer, call your lender and have them have the customer call them and have them run numbers for them based on the exact home that they're looking at. Because we don't know what price home you're going to end up buying. So I might pre-approve someone on 400 but nobody ever writes exactly 400. They might buy it for 19.9 or make up some other number. Plus, what are the exact property taxes? So I work with my agent, you know, go into Realtrax, tell me what the exact property taxes are. Because I want to provide the, the I want to dial in my numbers that I'm giving to that customer. What are interest rates? I'm still, I had a customer yesterday that I had talked to 30 days ago and the interest rate that I had told them was right at 3.875. So it had already been going up, but yesterday I gave them and they're like, what did you just say 4.875? And I was like, uh, yeah, based on your criteria, your situation, credit down payment, that, that was the rate yesterday. And so, but I ran the numbers for them specific to that house. And then they write the then they write the offer and so there aren't any surprises you know later in the process they knew here's how much money 
you, uh, you know, an estimate of how much money you'll need to buy this exact house. I'll go over um, appraisal gap. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you want to, you know, waive your appraisal, um, I'll give them a scenario. If the house only appraises at 380, this is exact. This is how much money you would need additional if the house doesn't appraise. So I go over that because if you finally get to a point where you are going to win a house, you don't want the whole deal blowing up, you know, two or three weeks later when the people don't have the cash to come up with because yeah. the appraisal didn't come in. Yeah, so. it's it's an expectations game. <clears throat> we, we both live it on different sides. Um, and as an agent, it is your responsibility to set very clear expectations. Also, I would encourage agents out there, um, anytime your client comes to you with any question that's remotely related to the financing, defer it to the lender. Um, you're not a lender. <laughs> uh, that, that was the way I did it all the time. Anytime someone was like, hey, so what should I do about X? Call your lender. And it's like focus on your specialty and your specialty is, I mean, your, your depth of knowledge, I'm always blown away. We'll stand around in the cafe here and it'll be like you, me, and you know, Carlton from closed title. And we'll be sitting there talking about like some like scenario or whatever. And you, you'll just like pull like these, I don't know, you freaking roll the decks of knowledge in there. You'll just like rummage through and find it and be like, Oh yeah, I remember that from this it's, situation. It's from paying the stupid tax. It's yeah. When you do something long enough, I try and help other people not pay the stupid tax. I already paid it. You yeah. Know, something there's <laughs> there's something out there that happened before, and man, it's it it's hard to remember all the good deals because almost every deal should be great. Yeah. But you remember that unique crazy situation where this happened, and you don't want that to happen again. Yeah. Like the time I had to buy a refrigerator on a deal, yeah, for somebody. That's, that's the realtor stupid tax. I, see, I messed all, up in the contract. We all pay the stupid tax. <laughs> what are you? Uh, what are you most excited about in the future? You know, every day I wake up and I'm super excited to to go to work and you know I I love helping people and and I, you know I'm a really competitive person so how what am I competing against every day? And I always joke and say I'm competing against the evil rules makers. You know, that's the government that makes the rules that <laughs> regulate my industry. I am, my goal is to, why do I come to do this for 20 years? And every day, I mean, I love it, Sean. Yeah. It is so fun. Uh, you're always here before me and you're always here after me. Well, Shame on me. It's, so you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. And there's always some, I get to help people. It was so exciting. Last week I went to a closing of this girl. Not only was she a first time home buyer, but she was the first person in her family. Her mom never owned a home. Her grandmom didn't own a home. And that's awesome. It's, that's what we do. Yeah. And to have the passion. And for me, I, again, yeah, I have been on the real estate side of things, uh, you know, working for a builder, being a, a realtor, broker, but on the lending side is I go to those closings and I see those people and I'm helping them. And it was a challenge to help her get it. And so to me, every day brings some new scenario where I get to help someone figure out a way to buy a home. And even if it's not the first time home buyer, that's, I mean, I love the first time, but 
the investor. How can I help them figure out a way to increase their, you know, return on investment? So yeah. that that's my competitive that. nature is every day. If I was a uh, loan officer or transitioned into being a loan officer, I'd want to uh, shadow you and learn from you because your experience, I mean, the experience that you have is significant. Um, and the passion that you have, I mean, literally the fact sometimes I can't even get a word in cause you're on the phone literally from the moment you get here to the moment you're walking out the doors. Um, I'll, I would almost challenge you that Wednesday I was on the phone more than you, but I, on Wednesday I had uh, 20,000 steps and 46 phone calls walking around in my, my living room at my house while I had no voice. Um, so and I'm sure you had more than that, but that's fine. Though. Um, I beat you on steps though. I bet <laughs> I, I walk around and talk. Yeah, you do. Headset. You do. You do. Um, to usually to have a Nerf gun fight briefly. Exactly. Um, so, all right. So how many, how many families or individuals were you able to help last year? You know, last year we in the mortgage industry were blessed with the oh, most the ridiculously low interest rates ever. So all those people, so you pretty much refinanced your entire pipeline from a year and a half ago. So all the people that bought in 2019 that had interest rates in the fours touching yep. five towards the end of 2019, right before COVID, every one of those people refinanced. So, so I have last the, year's an f- unfair uh, comparison. 2020 and 2021 are, but I have built my personal business on referral business, working with realtors. The purchase business is what you live for and refis are just, you know, a bonus, I guess. But so, you know, me personally, probably about 15 to 20, you know, 20 people a month um, is on the purchase side is 20 families. It's fantastic. 20 people. Yeah, That's, that's awesome. To be able to to be able to directly impact the lives of 240 individuals or families throughout the course of a year is awesome, um, because most people, not most people, but most people, yeah, most people don't have that opportunity. Um, and Sean, every day, and I see those people. I live here, and again, I have a bunch of kids, and I'm out sports events, and I right. see people. I I was at a soccer game Tuesday night. And saw someone, he's kind of looking at me and I couldn't place him. And I realized, oh yeah, I, I did a loan for them. Uh, we were playing uh, Independence High School. And um, oh yeah, he bought a house and that's that's how I know him. He was smiling at me and I'm like, it was someone that I had done a loan for. That's years awesome. Ago. That's yeah. awesome. All right. So if anybody needs to call you for loan questions, advice, or pre-approval, how do they, how do they find you? 615 405 3894. I've Sweet. had that number for 20 years. 615 405 3894. You can reach Lippy, and uh, we all call him Lippy. That's fine. <laughs> I've had that name for a long time. <laughs> for me, everybody used to always call me Mike U because, you know, baseball. Um, and uh, now nobody can even say Sean correctly. They normally hit me with scene. But uh, I think that'll wrap it. Um, thank you so much for being on, on the show with us today and, uh, we'll have to do it again as the interest rates, uh, saga continues. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Feel free to click the like, subscribe, comment buttons. Um, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, uh, anywhere podcasts are, please support us. We love uh, being here chatting with you guys every single week and we'll see you guys next week.
Hey guys, it's Swy. Thank you for joining us this week and we really hope you got some useful information and we made your day a little bit better. If you're interested in joining the movement of realtors getting their time and life back, check us out at joinsimplyhome.com on the browser, at Simply Home on socials, or in the description. See you next week.